0: Welcome to TaiwanGen, where we'll share stories of Taiwanese innovators, makers, and advocates. I'm your host, Cindy. Today, we're meeting a fellow podcaster, Mel, who's a part of Asian Boss Girl, or ABG. ABG is wildly successful and has become a voice, a refuge for Asian Americans in acknowledging and sharing their modern-day experiences. Let's meet Mel. Hi, Mel. Tell us about yourself and your connection to Taiwan.
1: Well, hi, Cindy. It's nice to meet you.
0: Uh, My name is Mel.
1: I am 29 years old. I live in L.A. now, but I'm from Northern California. I am Taiwanese American. Uh, So my mom was actually born in Taiwan, but immigrated to the U.S., Hawaii specifically when she was 14. I think growing up, my mom's always been a very proud Taiwanese woman. I think naturally growing up in a very proud Taiwanese household, I got really involved in like Taiwanese orgs in college. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I found myself getting involved in, like, even just film and media that related to my Asian American identity. For me, Taiwan has a very special place in my heart. It's like a really
0: key component of my Asian identity. You have been involved in a lot of different initiatives that promote Asian representation in, as you mentioned, the film industry. Why is that important to you?
1: I think it really um, set in for me in college during my internship at the San Diego Asian Film Festival part of my responsibilities and my marketing role and my programming role there was to watch a bunch of Asian, Asian American films, watching these films. I naturally just found myself crying or, you know, because I felt so seen, you know, or I was learning about a specific Asian group do a a documentary that I just never knew about. And growing up when you're watching like Western media You don't see or know that Asian cinema actually exists. But when you actually see it, you're like, dang, these type of films are really important because as an Asian American, you feel so seen and heard, which is something I don't think a lot of people feel growing up, let's say in Canada or in the States. I think representation through media is really important because what you see on the screen is represents what people see in their surroundings.
0: Mm -hmm. And I know what you mean, because um, for me, I gravitated so much towards Mulan being the (laughs) only... Asian. Yeah. Is there a film that you really connected with early on? Ooh. Mulan is a really
1: good one. That's actually the only film I watch in theaters of my parents because having Asian parents are like, I'm not gonna spend money on a movie. But <laughs> I think in some weird way our parents also knew the importance of Mulan. I love Jorla Club. That's a very classic, mm-hmm. you know, Asian American film based on the book by Amy Tan. I just I think telling the stories You know, of just like more modern day women uh, against, you know, juxtaposed with like their mother's story, you know, in China or Taiwan. It was very um, eye-opening for me because I thought about my relationship with my own mother. But I think another film that I just personally really love is um, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman by Ang Lee. Mm -hmm. I think Ang Lee also is a Taiwanese director and the film takes place in Taiwan. And it's about this father that doesn't really express his love for his daughters. He does so by food and cooking. I think it's Mm -hmm. so... It's very um, common in the Asian household that, you know, we don't say I love you. We're not really vocal or, you know, we don't share our feelings and emotions. But when your mom tells you, you know, eat more or like, here's something to eat. Here's apples I cut up. Like that's like their, their language of love. So I think eat, drink, man, and woman is like a representation of a Taiwanese American household where they feel like they can't express how they feel, but they do so through other ways.
0: That's so true. It took me a long time, yeah, before I could say I love you to my parents. <laughs> it just felt weird. And it's right. Like, even to this day, when I tell, like, my
1: dad now says I love you, I'm always, like, kind of mumble it back. <laughs> it's like, we like, it just feels weird to kind of say it out loud. And even hugging, like, we don't, we're not a hugging type of family mm-hmm. sometimes. It feels weird. It's like, this isn't common. We don't do this.
0: But I do, I do expect my fruit to be sliced. <laughs> so you mentioned seeing more modern asian stories and that kind of brings us to you being one of the trio in asian boss girl do you want to tell us a little bit about asian boss girl
1: so asian boss girl is, is a podcast hosted by myself um janet Wang, and helen Wu, and it was created i think two years ago honestly it was just based off a conversation on a friday night after some drinks and we're just kind of like talking through like Working in corporate in, you know, L.A. and dating and all these, like, woes and, like, situations we're going through. And one of our guy friends was, like, who also worked in media was, like, you guys should record this conversation. Like, people need to hear this. And we're all, like, dude, this is just literally like, a Friday night conversation to overwind with your girlfriends. But we thought about it more. We're, like, you know what? We researched and looked at other, you know, Asian you know, women in media, they focus a lot about, you know, like their beauty influencers or fashion. And I think it's really at that time, I didn't seem like there's a lot of stories coming from like the corporate working nine to five Asian American Mm women. And, you know, I think us naturally working the nine to five job podcasting, like the best kind of fit for medium for us, because, you know, we we consume so much podcasts at work because I can't be pulling up a YouTube video and my manager's like, what are you watching? I'm like, "Uh, (laughs) I'm working. uh, Yeah. So ABG was a way for us to tell our stories as, you know, normal nine to five working corporate women to share our stories, you know, from dating, our family history, um, love, um, now we're kind of branched off into other things, you know, doing YouTube videos and other stuff and we're kind of like testing out other medias, mediums, um, and all three of us actually went full time for the podcast back in March.
0: That's awesome. Congrats.
1: Thank you. It's, it's an interesting, you know, during the pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: If a B g had a mission, what would it be?
1: I think it kind of relates to you know why I feel so invested with the like representation in media i if we're able to share as many stories as we can within the Asian American or Asian community and having people feel heard and not feel alone, I think we accomplish what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I'm just reminded of the time when I was growing up and like after graduation, feeling so lost, of not knowing what job to go to, not knowing who to go to for help, not having resources, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways, like I'm also an older sister, I have a younger brother, and he goes to me for like, hey, Mel, how do you do this? I'm getting answers I wish I had, you know, when I graduated college. I think if you're able to provide answers or some kind of guidance as people navigate their journey in postgrad, I feel very fulfilled.
0: What do you think is the biggest challenge of being an Asian American woman today?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> This is so hard. I think, it honestly, maybe I'm thinking about work, but I think it really depends on what industry you work in. I think doing ABG, we hear so much struggle that the women face in the workplace because of like, you know, feeling like they don't belong or feeling they, there's a bamboo ceiling. And I think that's like so difficult when you work in a corporate space because like, how do you advocate for yourself when you haven't seen people advocate for you? You know, and I think that's something mm-hmm. that we get a lot of questions on. And I, for me, I just want to see Asian women get to a place at work where they, they actually feel valued and are seen. Learning how to, like, change the system up a bit to get to a place where these women can feel safe and secure and, like, be able to climb, whether it's a corporate ladder, or do whatever they want to do and feel good doing that and not feel like they're pigeonholed.
0: Bamboo ceiling I've never heard of. I love that word.
1: (laughs) So bamboo ceiling refers to this barrier or ceiling a lot of Asian working professionals hit when they're trying to get promoted. And on the podcast, Helen and Janet, you know, share a lot about their stories working in corporate where they noticed that a lot of the people in upper management were white and there was a lack of representation in those critical meeting rooms Mm -hmm. positions. I feel like Asian Americans or Asians in general are known to be like their working horse to put their head down and do the work. But when it comes to, you know, speaking out and trying to get the promotion, they don't Mm -hmm. get it. And for me, I think that this is really similar to like Asians in media and representation. It's kind of like... The less you see people with faces like you, like yours, in a position of power, you're going to start thinking and believing that we don't deserve to be there. So what we try to do um, on the podcast is to share experiences in these rooms and encourage people to learn to be an advocate for yourself, because that type of advocacy will trickle down to the other people at the company.
0: How do you keep coming up with the next topic?
1: We like to ask our audience, like, you know, what do you want to listen to? What do you what what do you want to hear more of? And I think they have been really good of, you know, submitting emails to us saying, hey, you hey, guys, please talk about this. I like I like when you talk about it on this episode, you dive deeper into this topic. I think what we try to do also is like before every season, we, we like to look at the lineup and say, okay, this seems like a pretty good mix of, you know, talking about our corporate experiences. We're talking, we're talking about love, family. We have a good guest on. So we try to make sure that every season feels balanced in terms of topics. Like also mixing up the tone. Um, And understanding, you know, what feels like it's needed this week, maybe this last week was a little more serious, this week could be a little more fun. So we try to like change up here and there the best we can.
0: My gosh, I really just thought you guys, you know, just had fun, but there's so much thought that goes into it. Oh, yeah, I know. This is, it's definitely an industry. Mm -hmm. I feel that a lot of podcasts create communities and you're sort of creating that community as well.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I, one of our favorite things when we go to like events or seeing other women connect with each other and not just with mm-hmm. us and to see them connect on deep issues like, you know, I'm being Asian or I'm feeling or moving to a different state and feeling alone and trying to find a friendship. I think seeing those relationships form is such an empowering time and moment. But I'm curious. I know you just said that, you know, you uh, are an average listener podcast. Like, Like what, what inspired you to really like, you know, I'm going to make one for myself.
0: My instinct was to make a blog to cover more Taiwanese profiles and people, initiatives, companies. One of my close friends who works at Refinery29, she creates YouTube content for them. She suggested the podcast. I don't know. She said people don't read anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And I find that a podcast, some reason because it's in your ear, it's so intimate and you really do get yeah. so many layers of that story. Um, I don't know. What do you think about podcasting?
1: No, I actually, I I agree with you. I, there's definitely an intimate relationship you kind of develop with, you know, these hosts and their stories. And because um, I find my, I listen to podcasts too. And like, it's part of my routine. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's a part of my everyday life, which I kind of love because you kind of develop this relationship with it. People say about ABG, which I, I find very humbling is that like, they say like, oh, I feel like I'm in the room with you. And I think mm-hmm. I love that that statement because like, Even right now when we're recording, Cindy, I feel like I'm next to you. There's something about the element of sound that kind of does play into this intimacy of getting to know someone and getting to know someone's story.
0: Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite stories from ABG was the immigration stories you covered with your mom. Yeah. It was so great that you got to interview her and then definitely I felt like she sort of shared it with me. Yeah, Yeah. Do you have a favorite topic?
1: It's funny that you mentioned that episode. That's actually one of my favorite episodes, too. Maybe it's because, um, you know, it is my mom and I I have such a close relationship with my mom. And we literally recorded that that episode in her bedroom. I think what shocked me about that episode is I didn't expect my mom to cry. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: She like she kind of broke down a little bit in the episode. My mom's the type Mm -hmm. to like she's very expressive. She's a very loving mother, but she's not the type to like show tears. That kind of just made me empathize with her and understanding her story, you know, as a Taiwanese immigrant and a mother. Her sharing her struggle or my grandparents' struggle coming here and the sacrifices they made. I think that was an episode that really just kind of like, in some ways, like even sparked a greater curiosity about my family and about my Taiwanese culture. Mm -hmm. So that one is also one of my favorites. I just love, you know, the topic of dating and love. I, I'm, I'm that girl that's like, oh, a new rom-com? What is it? So I think whenever we talk about dating, I always find it really interesting.
0: And why is it important to cover, quote-unquote, taboo topics like sex and mental health?
1: I think the biggest importance to talking about these taboo topics is to normalize these topics in general. You know, if we don't talk about these things, we end up living in the shame. Being an Asian kid, you know shame. This is the... <laughs> best method our parents have used to dis- to discipline us, right? Mm-hmm. But living in the shame is not healthy at all. This kind of dark negative cloud can really affect your mental health. Mm-hmm. It's really important to talk about mental health. I feel like as Asians, you know, growing up, we are known to have those parents who are really strict and wanted us to kind of be the best. And that takes a toll on your mind, right? Mm-hmm. And so for us to talk about this, to normalize it, is really important for the community. On a personal level, like us talking about it on the podcast allows me and opens up this door for me to talk about it with my own family you know I had to talk about my own mental health with my mom and that was a very interesting discussion as well because even with my mom I realized it was a tough convo and there was a fight that broke or we had an argument at the end of the day you know when we talked about it my mom started talking to her coworkers, and she realized their kids and their friends were also going to the same thing and so it kind of opened up that discussion for her If we could have these conversations with our parents, we want to encourage, you know, our listeners to also attempt to have that convo with their parents as well, or even just seek mental health. Mm -hmm. You know, on the podcast, Helen, Jenna, and myself have shared our personal journeys with therapy. We want our listeners to know that they can take care of their mental health in a way that's healthy. And we go to doctors for our body. Why can't we go to a doctors for our mind? I remember this one time we were at some college speaking event, I think last year, this student, he was a male student, he was just asking me about therapy and he was saying you no, I was going through a really hard time personally and I just don't know if I should try. He messaged me a few months later after that conversation saying that, you know, he actually started going to therapy and he has benefited so much from it. When I hear that, I feel so happy for him because I think one, you know, again, mental health is a taboo topic and the Asian American or Asian community, but it's also even harder for a male to seek mental health. Mm-hmm. It means a lot to know that like what we're doing and what we're seeing on the podcast is having a positive effect on people. In terms of sex, I think it's, again, these are things we just don't talk about growing up. And so we share about our experience with our first sexual encounters. Hopefully, you know, younger girls could listen and feel like they're not navigating this like awkward kind of time by themselves. I think the goal overall for these conversations, again, is to normalize these things and make it, you know, easy for us to talk about and not taboo at
0: all. Mm Mm-hmm. So you've been around media for a long time, but just say has being a part of ABG helped you grow or change you in ways you didn't expect? We
1: say a lot how the episodes always feel like a therapy session. Sometimes we kind of try to go deep in some of the topics from like our attachment styles to like our deepest fears and insecurities. And I think naturally having to record these like these type of episodes, you have to ask yourself the hard questions a lot. So I think a lot of ways ABG has definitely helped me develop quicker and just I'm able to be more aware of who I am because I kind of, along the way I process and I'm able to learn a lot about myself. No, I guess another thing I would say that ABG has helped done is I think it strengthened my relationship with with my Taiwanese identity. You know, I think naturally Mm -hmm. being wanting to represent for the community, wanting to represent for other Asian Americans. I found myself being more intentional with the things I consume in terms of media and like books. Like I think a few years ago, I told myself, like, you know, now when I buy books or read books, I want to make sure it's by an Asian American author. You know, whenever Mm -hmm. a new Asian American film comes out or there's a series, I want to watch it because I want to see what stories are being told. I'm more of an intentional consumer now. My ears are always on trying to figure out what's coming up within the media space. Wow.
0: For people who want to follow more Asian American content, is there a place you'd recommend?
1: I know Angry Asian Man has. He's a great, um, like, publishing site. Anything in the news, from media to the community, he always covers anything that's happening. I like to follow CAPE. CAPE is, like, a community group that kind of focuses on sharing what's going on with the Asian-American space, within entertainment. So CAPE is a great one to follow on Instagram that helps me keep me in the know.
0: So you're a second-generation Taiwanese-American, but somehow you're still so connected to Taiwan. Why do you think that is?
1: Hmm. This is actually a question I kind of like was recently reflecting on because I'm like, why am I, why do I feel so proud being Taiwanese? Mm-hmm. And, you know, listening to my other friends' stories growing up, I think what, what the difference I felt was that my mom and her brothers were the one that had to immigrate and assimilate to a kind of Western culture. When she had me, my brother, there was no sense of shame of being Asian, of being Taiwanese. If anything, it was even further further embraced. Mm-hmm. I, I remember going to school with like dumplings and not feeling ashamed. I remember coming home, walking back from the bus stop, my grandma's blasting some Taiwanese music that everyone could hear. And I'm like, what is going on? But there's like no sense of shame in my family for being Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. I think it really made it easy for my brother and I to be so proud of our identity. Growing up with my grandparents at my house also kind of made me feel connected to my culture because I had to speak with my with my with grandparents in Mandarin and they spoke to, in Taiwanese back to me. So mm-hmm. I think having that sense of like family connection really helps build this like strong love and uh, connection to your culture. Yeah. I think that's why I'm so proud to be Taiwanese.
0: That's so beautiful. That is really great parenting, by the way. Yeah. My,
1: my, my mom did a very good job.
0: I will, I'll give her that. Good job, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and if you had to summarize Taiwan in one word, what, what would this Taiwan mean to you?
1: I always call it the motherland. It's not necessarily home because my home is back in the Bay Area with my family, but motherland is like this is where my mother came from this is where my, my grandma came from the people before her the people i get to go when i go back it's the people i see that it feels like an extension of who i am but this is like where everyone that i know and my extensions of me have started from here and so for me taiwan will always and forever be my motherland
0: if you want to hear mal and her friends discuss growing up asian mental health sexual health and even k-drama reviews Listen to ABG on any podcast network. And if you like this interview, please rate, subscribe, and share with your friends. Taiwan,